When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 293 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Another wild Wednesday, a late Wednesday. I apologize. Normally, I like to get these out first thing in the morning, but a little delayed, but uh, nonetheless, you're here hearing the smooth, silky sounds or something like that. So just sit back, close your eyes. And watch the sights and the sounds as they fly through the air. How you guys doing? Good to be back talking to you guys. Um, well, we're going to talk, uh, we got champions, we got uh, enforcers that were terrible players list. Tim, I got a list. Tim's excited. I already got Tim. I grabbed Tim's attention 30 seconds into the program right there. No Hashtag know your audience. Oh, and we talk, and we got a return. Speaking of an audience. Oh, I'll tell you, I don't know what audience this is going to drum up. I don't, I'll tell you, it's a group of people I wouldn't want to be around, but we'll I'll talk about that in a sec. Oh yeah. But, uh, well, first, how about I just start, I'll start with the, get it out, you know, got to pay the bills, right? I'll talk about people, you know. Yeah, I'll do this first. Uh, where's my list? I don't know. It's, I'm sitting in the dark here. It's like 9.45 Wednesday night. I'm sitting in the dark. Yeah, this is where this is where we're at with this show. Um, well, first, member of the Hockey Podcast Network. There's over 50 shows in the network. All the NHL teams have podcasts. Whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you. Terry Ryan's also on the network. He's always got interesting guests. Short season two of Shorzy getting fired up to record or to uh, to film, so he'll be busy. I gotta get Terry back on the show. I've talked to him. About it, uh, he is he has agreed to do it. Uh, obviously, he's busy right now, but yeah, I'll get Terry on the show here soon. We can talk about Shorzy and all that. The behind the scenes, it'll be like the actor studio. We'll get behind the scenes with Ted Hitchcock. 
But, uh, and then, of course, we got Jolton Joel Lazito over at, wow, well, who knows? He's got a number of different shows out. Um, you know, we got uh, the the old Coliseum Chronicles show, which is an Islander podcast that he did. Then he moved on to the, the Nordiques Knuckles podcast, which was obviously, as it sounds, a Quebec Nordiques podcast. Then he bounces back and forth. I don't know. You never know what interview is going to come. Now all of a sudden he's a motivational speaker. He's he's doing it all, folks. Uh, yeah. He's enlightening. He's motivating. He's informing. I'm telling you. Jolton Joe does it all. But uh, so he, he got that show. Go- and then uh, and now he's back. Here He, he left. He got us all excited because he left. Now he's bringing us all back down because he showed back up. But yeah, the the Brett Favre for podcasting, Mud Show out in North Kakalaki there, Five for Fighting podcast, is back. Oh, great. Yeah. He didn't take my advice. I told him to take two weeks off and quit. But yeah, so we got that now, the return. We got that to look forward to. Like I said, I don't know the people that listen to that show, I don't want to be associated with, I'll tell you that. Or at least be in the same room with them. Shit, you be sit, sit on your wallet back to the wall. But Alec is back. So, in fact, actually, this I'll, well, this shows the length that I'm going to, the desperation that I have. I'm actually uh, recruiting him to come on my show here on, was it, what's today, Wednesday, third Friday. And uh, we're actually going to do a review of the Minor League Mayhem Tournament. You know, I'm, I'm, I managed to, to avoid uh, Iowa there. He's busy. I don't know what they're doing. I think it's Cal... Cow plop bingo night out in the out in the sticks there, so he might be doing something. Or I don't know, he's fixing something. I don't know, he had to re tin foil the bedroom window or something, so he couldn't make it. But uh, I, I'll get Alec on and we'll discuss things. But uh, no, Five for Fighting podcast is back. I joke, but uh, I always enjoy Alec's show. I'm back. I'm glad he's back, and um, yeah, and he's actually doing an East Coast Hockey League, the Clash of the Coast, uh, voting for the. Uh, Best fighter in the East Coast League. And it's actually gaining traction. He's got teams tweeting about it. In fact, I think one of the teams, the Railers, something like that, they announced it at the game, apparently. It shot it up on the Jumbotron. So, look at that. The uh, Clash of the the clash of the Coast. The Coast of the Clash. I named the damn thing. Clash of the Coast um, is is getting over. So, that's, that's good to see. But, um, no, he is back. And uh, so... Looking forward to what he can produce. Like I said, I'll get him on the show here on Friday, and uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll have him explain and uh, and, and that and that type of thing. But uh, yes, let's get into it. Um, I hate to be sort of brief tonight, uh, but again, uh, it is like almost ten o'clock on Wednesday night, and uh, you know, I kind of want to wrap this up. At the same time, I wanted to give you guys, I wanted to bring you guys something. Uh, you know, I've been told by a few people that it helps them get through the day, whether it be with their commute or they're at work or they got their earbuds on. And, uh, you know, instead of listening to Lumberg, they're going to listen to me. So, okay. So here we are. And then other people just don't really give a shit. So <laughs> there we go. So where's my notes here? Like I said, I'm really, really, uh, um, well, I guess, I guess we have to, we have to, uh, start off at the, with the big news. Of course, that we crowned the champion of the sixth annual minor league mayhem tournament. It has none other 
that mad Mal Engelstad. He picks up his first victory of the minor league mayhem tournament, defeating Joel Terrio in the, in the final and what a final it was. And, uh, I want to thank everybody that took the time to vote and to comment. Um, the reaction was not bad. Uh, it was the first time I put the poll on Facebook. Um, I prefer Twitter in terms of how they set up with their voting polls and everything else. I like that setup better. Uh, but Twitter is a pretty, at least for the minor league mayhem stuff, it's a pretty dead medium. Um, so I, I liked it on Facebook. I, I liked it the fact that there was a lot of ex-players uh, involved in it and voting and commenting. That was cool. Um, as I said earlier, I said on the previous episode and I, I, whatever, but yeah, long gone are the days of four and 600 vote fights, um, that used to happen on Twitter. Um, and it's not a slight to any of the guys that were in the tournament or anything like that. But at the end of the day, I, especially with Twitter, Twitter's an NHL market. Like the young, it's a younger, it's a younger demographic, I mean, they know Probert McSorley and all that, but, you know, and as again, it's not a slight to Engelstad or Tasker or any of those guys, but that generation doesn't know those guys. And if you're not an NHL guy, they live in an NHL bubble, and that's what Twitter is, in my opinion. And um, so I don't think the tournament would have went over very well on Twitter. Um, I think it, it did better. I think I'm going to still do the Probert tournament on Twitter. Um but the minor league tournament, I'm definitely going to stick to um, Facebook. And uh, but like I said, I I and I think the main, you know, I ranted and raved last episode that there's always a few goofs that have to flap their lips and whatever. And where's you know where's Jim Bob and where's this guy? Like okay, I mean you know that's going to happen regardless. That'll happen with everything. Um, but overall, I have to say the. Um, wasn't a lot of clowns. The ones that were got dealt with quick and were ousted. But overall, I think people kept it. Well, they did not think they did. Um, kept it respectful, which I appreciate. And um, it was fun. And like I said, for it was a, a fun little you know week and a half thing. There, I always enjoy the tournaments. Um, you know, and I've I've always said to me that I don't care who wins or whatever. That's not the point of doing them at all. And the, and it's not to embarrass anybody or anything like that. It's 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 just to create conversation and expose those sixty four guys. And like I said, I today on social media, again, it's not a slight to these people, but I mean, who's talking about Mel Engelstad or Kerry Toporowski or you know or whoever on on Facebook, on the fight groups. No, no one really, not very often. So the fact to be able to bring those guys up and put their names out there and get people talking and engaged, um, is, was the point of the whole exercise. So, um, in that terms, it was a success and, um, a lot of work, a lot of work goes into it with the Photoshopping and the graphics and, and everything else. And, um, but it was worth it. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed the interactions with people and, uh, yeah, it was fun. And, uh, yes. So once again, to everyone that, uh, took part, uh, thank you. And, uh, I will be doing another tournament. I don't know. I probably a power forward tournament. I've, I've done them a few times. I've done about four or five of them there. I call them the Gordie Howe classic. And basically it's, uh, a, yeah, 64 power forwards. Um, 
and we'll do that. I think for that one, I might do that on Facebook again. I've talked to William. He's uh, one of the uh, admin over at the Hockey Fights and Brawls page. And um, I think he kind of wanted something on the on that page in terms of just to kind of um, get some traction going in the group and, you know, always trying to create um, um, energy and, and, and shit going on in the group. So I think I'll probably put it on that group. I haven't talked to him about that. He We talked about it way back when, but... Um, <laughs> well, William listens to the show, so he'll be like, oh, this is the first I've heard of it. Um... But I, I will definitely, I think I'll bring it, it was either that tournament or the Eddie Shore tournament. Um, I did that one with a, it was a defenseman tournament. So um, it'll be, uh, you know, those will be fun. I, I think that might be a little more engaging because it's NHL, I think. So uh, we'll see. And like I said, the group's got lots of guys. I think, shit, there's 50,000 members now. I'm sure 45,000 of them aren't active, but hey, maybe we can get them to come out of the woodwork. And I think with a lot of those groups too, I think there's a lot of people that lurk, but they don't really post. And um, so, well, I mean, I've, I, well, I should say that because I've often complained that every once in a while there'll be some guy just out of the blue writes some dumb comment. And then you look and it's, oh, it's his first post in the hockey fights and brawls or the enforcer appreciation group. And he's been a member for like a year and a half. And it was like, really, you've been a member for a year and a half, and this is this is your opening day. This is your opening debut, your your first hit uh, of your of your uh, career, and you come up with this gem. Oh yeah, like I, there's been a couple guys that that was their first and last comment in the Enforcer Appreciation Group because it was like, well, you're a dipshit, so out you went. Um, <laughs> so, um, but so I think there's a lot of people that do lurk, and so I think um, voting. I mean, draw them out is the wrong term, but you know what I'm saying. I think um, it'll get them to engage anyway, at least to vote. So, um, yeah, I'll talk to William and, uh, you know, maybe we can come up with a with a special, maybe even something unique and different and new. Um, I'll talk to him about it and uh, see what we can come up with. But I'm going to give myself, well, I'm going to Edmonton next week, so I'm not going to be around next week. So uh, that it won't be happening, you know, uh you know, well, maybe we'll we'll give it till uh, May or something, and we can start something. Um, but uh, yeah, so once again, Mad Mel Engelstad, the winner, the sixth annual minor league mayhem. Somebody asked me, I f- forgive me for not remembering who asked. Actually, I think it was asked by a few people. Um, well, this is the sixth annual. Who have been the other champions? So I'm going to click on that right now. Going because I, I save all the tournament stuff. So minor league mayhem one. The champion was Steve McIntyre. He beat Trevor Gillies in the final. Minor League Mayhem 2 was Mel Engelstad and Rocky Thompson in the final, and Rocky won. Minor League Mayhem 3 was Link Gates and Trevor Gillies in the final. Gates won. Um, Minor League Mayhem 4, Pete Vandermeer and John Morasti in the final, and uh, Morasti won. And then last year, McIntyre and Rocky were in the final. McIntyre won. So Steve McIntyre is a two-time champ, which is why he's... And every year, the guys sat out from the year before, the guys that won it. So McIntyre will be back in next year. And, of course, as I said, Mel, Mad Mel beat Joel Terrio for the championship this year. So it was cool. I dig it. I love those tournaments, and it was a lot of fun. And... uh Normally, I, I've looked back on the dates. Usually with the Minor League Mayhem one, I always brought them out in September. Um, so I don't know. 
what happened this year, why I didn't do it in September, but whatever. Um, although it was funny because it actually kind of uh, ran ran uh, parallel with the actual March Madness bracket. Um, of course, I know it's a hockey podcast. A lot of people on here probably don't like basketball or whatever, but I can tell you, I love me some March Madness. I love that basketball tournament. I mean, it's funny if college basketball is on in December. I don't really want. I might watch it for a couple of minutes, but I don't really pay much attention to it. Uh, well, I take that back. I pay attention to it in terms of gambling because I'll gamble on it. Uh, so I'm reading like analytic stuff and previews of the show and listening to gambling podcasts or whatever. So I'm I'm paying attention to it, but. Um, March Madness, I will, we, my wife and I legit watch all the games. Um, we fill out our brackets because we're in an office pool. And, of course, we got bragging rights amongst ourselves. She loves when she beats me. Um, I don't know if she beat me this year. I haven't I didn't check the standings. You know, of course, everybody's bracket that was in it got, you know, absolutely destroyed. There might have been a few people with UConn, but going a little ways. But, um, yeah, shit, I had friggin' Houston win. That, that collapsed after, what, the Sweet 16 or whatever. But, no, I always enjoy it. Um, made a few bucks this year. Won a couple bets. My wife actually won a few bets, too. Um, the first time she's ever actually bet on sports, because it was funny. I was sitting there, and I said, you know, you should sign up with the... Because, of course, all, well, everybody that watches sports knows there's a friggin' gambling ad every... Well, every ad. Um, but I was saying, you, you should sign up for... Um, one of the gambling sites, because right now if you sign up, obviously they'll match your deposit and whatever. Because I said, you watch uh, March Madden, you watch every game, and I said, oh, I don't follow basketball, and she doesn't. But I'm like, yeah, but I mean, you're right in the moment, when you're watching all the games, you you know, you've told, I've sat and we've talked for the last bunch of years that we've done it, that, oh, this team looks pretty good, and I think they might do it, and I think they match up good against them, and whatever. And she's usually pretty right on, so... Yeah, she decided to uh, open up an account and do some betting, and uh, yeah, she uh, she did quite well. I think she cashed three or four tickets, and uh, I mean, not that you know, you know, we're buying new cars or anything, or they're they're limiting us at the at the betting window as whales, but uh, I have a couple hundred bucks, it's a couple hundred bucks, right? So whatever. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm sure you guys tuned in to hear all about my uh, my gambling. Um, no, other than that, I I. I um, uh, well, I, it was funny. I got, uh, well, I know my brother was happy that I talked about baseball. He's like, you need to talk about other things on this podcast besides hockey. Um, and, he, and we're obviously both baseball fans. But, of course, in the last episode, I talked about my five uh, favorite baseball movies, which I got a few DMs about and stuff and, uh, and everything. Um, but I had somebody, actually, I had two people ask me, um, that they, uh, since I was such a big baseball fan, um, uh, who was, who were my favorite players, uh, growing up. And, um, I will say my absolute, despite him being absolutely nuts nowadays, um, growing up, um, I was a Conseco fan. Jose Conseco was my favorite player. I, I, you know, growing up playing baseball, I wore 33, um, yeah. And of course I grew up right at, in the mid eighties. You know the Bash Brothers; they were the they were the shit, right? So, um, you know, Oakland A's mania and everything else. And uh, yeah, I was a big A's guy. I liked McGuire too. Um, but yeah, I just always liked Conseco. Just a yeah, he's a jacked up, juiced up, but dropped bombs and looked like a superhero, right? And um, 
you know, um, but I, I think my first, I think my, my favorite, my first favorite player, um, as a little kid would probably be hard to say, probably Cal Ripken. I was, I really liked Cal Ripken, um, and Lance Parrish. I remember cause, uh, we had, we got Detroit cable. And, uh, of course, the roar of 84, right? I was nine years old, and the Tigers won the World Series. You know, Parrish and Whitaker and Trammell and Kirk Gibson. And I love uh, Daryl Evans. I love that Tiger team. Um, they were fun to watch, that old park with the upper deck there. Yeah, so, and I grew up, Rob Deere, Mickey Tettleton, Cecil. I was a big, actually, now, I was a big Tiger fan. I like those guys. I loved Rob Deere. Yeah, no clue. Just swing from your ass. Hope you run into it. Um, but yeah, tremendous, but, um, yeah, Conseco was my favorite player, McGuire, um, you know, and then later on, you kind of, you know, Josh Hamilton and stuff like that. I was, you know, Will Clark, um, Tony Gwynn, you know, I just admired Gwynn for the way he could hit, you know, just to handle the bat the way he did. Um, but I was always a power guy, you know, later on the kind of the newer age, Adam Dunn and. You know, um, guys like, who's the latest guy? I mean, Judge, I mean, sure. I, you know, Judge, he actually seems okay. Um, but, you know, a guy like Joey Gallo, shit like that. I always just like guys like that just were big dudes that hit bombs. Russell Brangen, who were at Phil Plantier. Remember that guy? Um, you know, uh, Ryan Klesko. Yeah, I was just a fan of the, of the big power guys. Um, but, uh Yeah. But yes, growing up, uh, definitely Jose Canseco was by far my favorite player. So it's funny reading some of his tweets now. It's just like, oh my God, kind of roll your eyes. Actually, it's funny. Um, when we go to Vegas, of course, we stay at the Orleans. Well, just a few blocks away from the Orleans is the Jose Canseco car wash that is green and yellow. And uh, apparently he's there on Wednesdays or something. We stopped by, he signs ball autographs and shit. Um I was there the way I wanted to, and then I was like, eh. I, I, I'd probably go in there, and I'd be, you know, where they say never, you know, never meet your heroes, because uh, he's probably just a douchebag. Um, actually, I'd probably be fairly certain he would be. Um, not that, you know, at, at my age now, it wouldn't, like, it wouldn't, like, crush me or anything, but it would be more just like, uh-huh, I figured so, you know. But a part of me wouldn't mind a Conseco autograph ball, I have to admit. Uh, that would look good on the shelf, but yes. Jose Canseco was my favorite player. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at even bigger payouts. DraftKings will feature parlays, odds boost, all tournament long, so make sure to check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have in store. Yeah, guys, we're down to the fu- the final four. Uh, Florida Atlantic, can they keep the Cinderella run going? Um, actually, I don't mind them against San Diego State tonight. We'll see how it goes. Um, I don't know. UConn's looking strong, though. Um, I, I think they're going to win the whole thing here. I think that'd be that'd be my bet on the futures anyways, UConn at this point. But download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with promo code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet. Get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook and using the code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And now back to your regularly scheduled program. So I really don't have much today. Um, other, I do have a list though, as I said. Uh, let's get into this list. It was, uh, I want to say, 
Actually, my friend uh, Kevin sent me this list. It was from the Sportster, written in, when was it published? January 20th, 2016. So it's a little older. Um, can you believe it was like seven years? That's like seven years ago. That sounds so bizarre to say. Hmm. The top 15 NHL enforcers who were terrible hockey players. Oh, yeah. Well, I laughed because he said uh, his the the tech the byline in his email or the subject title was uh, "Can he skate?" Because he knows I've ranted and raved about people that well, he's not in the league because he can't skate, and that always used to drive me nuts. People say that, yeah, guy plays six hundred NHL games and this bozo's yelling how he can't skate. Uh, okay, you know. Connor McDavid would blow right by him. Well, Connor McDavid blows. That's why I laugh, right? Everybody, whenever they use that, like they're trying to prove a point, they pick like the best skater. See, he can't keep up with him. Well, no one can. You know, like, that's like when they talk about fighters. Well, Probert would kill him. Oh, okay. Well, you pick the best guy. Like what I was saying about Scott Stevens. Yeah, you sure didn't do much against Bobby. Well, Probert was one of the best, if not the best fighter of all time. That's your, that's how we're gauging how people, they're fighting. It's how they do against him. You know, like, oh yeah. <laughs> Same thing with this, right? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I've said this all before. Let's get on with it. All right. Uh, but I did not look at the list. So you and I are discovering this together. So here we go. Uh, fighting is slowly but surely disappearing from NHL hockey. One can argue that's a very good thing. Man, no, it's not. You just, who is this writer? You've already, Steve Toms. You've already irritated me. And with what we know regarding the long-term effects of brain injuries, it only makes makes sense. Well, we should get rid of hitting then too. Uh, fighting is slowly disappearing from the NHL. One can argue it's very good. It only makes sense. In addition to the post-concussion, depression has become a chronic problem for many NHL pugilists and several tragically taking their own lives in recent years. Uh, yeah, well, that's a whole other... Okay. Yeah, we won't talk about that tonight. Um, all health reasoning aside, it could actually be good for the quality of the on-ice product. No. In the past, teams have dressed one or two bruisers every game just in case things got a little messy. That is fine for a game if these players can also become equipped with the requisite skills to keep up with the pace of the NHL game. But all too often, these enforcers don't have what it takes. Oh, yeah. Today's players, uh, homage, the, today's list pays homage to those, fo- to those folks. They're a dying breed in today's NHL. It's not too often you find teams to use valuable roster spots on one-dimensional fighters. It still happens, though, and a few current NHLers have found their way onto our list today. The only criteria a player needs in order to meet to qualify this list is you need to have played at least one full season's worth of NHL games, 82, and they also need to... They, well, they also needed to be not... It's a chunky sentence. They also needed to not be... Great at actual hockey, in brackets by NHL standards. Uh, okay, but it turns out a lot of these enforcers in the past weren't too adept at putting the puck in the net, as you're about to see for yourself. Okay, <clears throat> well, he's. Uh, this is obviously typically writ. This is obviously some fan that's writ. Well, it's all the. Okay, I guess every reporter is a fan, so to speak. But this sounds like a fanboy kind of stupidity like they don't score like they just look at stats and well he sucks yeah okay uh anyway let's get on with this list this guy's this writer's already annoyed me though that's probably why kevin sent this to me number 15 mike rupp 
Rupp racked up 80 regular season fights during his career, which spanned from 03 to 14. Rupp saw action in 600 NHL games, which is impressive considering his limitations on the ice. Former first-round draft pick scored 54 goals, 45 assists, meaning he didn't crack the 100-point barrier. He did, however, have four consecutive seasons, which he had 12 fights or more. Um, okay, here, hold on. So I'm going to apologize for the typing because I'm actually going to I'm going to do this as we go through this. So yeah, Mike Rupp. Um, yeah, he was actually initially drafted in the '98 draft by the Islanders in the ninth, ninth overall, and then again in the third round by the Devils in 2000. Um, yeah, but I mean, you go and look. He played in the OHL, 63 games, he had 22 goals. The next year, he had 58 games, 32 goals. And then in Albany, the American League, in his first year, 71 games, he had 10 goals. Next season, 78 games, 13 goals. So, um, this, oh, the, the title of it right away, oh, they were terrible hockey players. Well, clearly he wasn't. Obviously, he had a role to perform. That's the one thing with that fans don't understand with enforcers. They're not getting power play minutes. They're not getting any special teams. All of those points that you're seeing right there were scored even strength. So that's five on five with very limited ice time. You know, again, he's not playing 20 minutes. So this whole idea, they're terrible. It's like, no, you don't, like I said, you don't play in the OHL and score 32 goals in 58 games and not have a fucking clue what's going on. And then put 10 points in 13 playoff games that year too. So no, Mike Rupp could play. He just, you know, knew his role and performed it. So yeah, no, this fucking guy doing this list has already irritated me. Uh, number 14, Luke Gazdick. He's one of the few players on this list who still occupies a somewhat regular spot on the roster. The Oilers have played roughly half. The Oiler has played roughly half of Edmonton's games this year. He has not been very productive. 134 NHL games, all with the Oilers. Gazdick has recorded just eight points. According to HockeyFights.com, Gazdick has fought 26 times in the regular season, which works out to about a fight every five games. Pretty high rate when you consider your average is well under 10 minutes a night. Well, there, you just said it. He averages well under 10 minutes a night, which would probably explain his eight points. Um, yeah, I mean, Gazdick, I, I was a big fan of, I liked, I liked watching Gazdick fight. Um, again, th- this is during a time where I didn't, I don't, I wasn't watching hockey anymore. So I can't comment on how he played in junior or whatever, or how he played with the Oilers on a regular basis. But I, I would see his fight clips and I'd watch his fights. Um, but I'm, I, again, I went to look here. And oh, another Erie Otter guy. Um, yeah, like here we go. He's playing for the Erie Otters in his, you know, uh, 67 games. He had 17 goals, 144 minutes. Then in his final year, 63 go- games, he had 20 goals, 127 minutes. Um, in the American League, 76 games, 11 goals. Um, so again, it's this idea that, like, no, they're lousy at hockey. Again, you're playing major. Now, I know junior hockey is completely different than pro hockey. But it, it's not like he played 63 games in Erie and had a goal and two points or something. Like, no, he had 20 goals in 63 games. Again, double-digit goals in the American League. 76 games, 11 goals. So it's not like he's just some fucking clueless idiot out there. And again, while in the American League, he might have got a little second power play time, maybe. But overall, yeah, these guys aren't getting specialty team, you know. So, like, again, it's this idea that people just look, well, here I'm looking at stats to prove the point, but but you know what I'm saying? They just look at their stat numbers. Oh, okay, i got to do an article about shitty players. Well, this guy had eight points. You know, it's like, okay, there's more to it than that. Of course, I think I'm going to be saying this about every guy. 
Number 13. Oh, here we go. Paul Bissonnette. Bissonnette is, of course, everybody's favorite NHLer to follow on Twitter, but there is a pretty good reason why he's playing his trade in the American League for the past few seasons. Over the course of 202 games, Bissonnette had 52 fights. It's a fight every four games, but more shocking is perhaps his inability to produce. Penguins draft pick recorded seven goals, 22 points in his career. In addition to 52 fights, he's racked up 78 fights in the American League. Well, again, Paul Bissonnette was an East Coast Hockey League. He was an, uh, uh, an all-star um, it's a, well, what's the coast though? Well, yeah, but I'm just, I'm, I'm proving a point here that, um, and I know he gets on spit and jiglets and he talks about how shitty he was and whatever he's, he wasn't, he knew his role. I've always, the thing I've always said about Bissonette that I give him, I give him complete credit for is the fact that, um, he decided to, like, he wasn't a huge, in junior and stuff, he wasn't a huge fighter. It wasn't like, oh, he was a goon in junior. Um, no, he played in an OHL all-star game. Um, again, fourth round pick. Um, but he knew how to get to the league, to the, to get to the NHL was to fight. And that's what he did. And again, you go back and look East coast hockey, when he was playing regularly and whatever, 65 games, he had 42 points, 115 minutes, then, uh, 22 games, 17 points, 43 minutes until he got called up to the American league. Uh, then the one year in uh, in Wilkes-Barre, 57 games, nine goals, 176 minutes, and this is where he um, started up becoming the enforcer and moving up to forward and whatever. But again, seriously, well, I laughed. The one year uh, during, uh, you know, he heads over to Cardiff. In 10 games in Cardiff, he has 19 points. Oh, it's amazing what happens when you actually let this guy play. Um, again, I'm not saying, oh, if they gave him regular minutes in the NHL, he'd be a 30 point deep. No, I mean, he knew his role, but again, this idea that, you know, they don't know what, like they're just putts is, is yeah. Zach Sorrentini's charged with protecting Oilers young in the late two thousands was charged with protecting the young Oilers stars in the late two thousands, LOL. And during that time, he was among the league leaders in fights by the end of the season, 257 games of the of NHL work, Huggy bear, not the most endearing nickname given to him by Oiler fans. Racked up 81 fights. Uh, 256 games, a decent career, but far it would likely be so long it was a better team. Um, Zerantini recorded 44, 44, 41 points before being relegated to the AHL for good, where he still fights a lot. Um, actually, if you when he got sent down to the American League after his Oiler run, Zerantini actually got into some really good fights down in the American League. Um yeah, I mean, I will say, I mean, I've talked to people that were around the OHL scene at the time. Uh, Sorrentini was like the man in the OHL back in the day. Uh, but massive dude. Um, but again, you look, um, Sudbury, 62 game, 21 goals. 58 game, 13 goals. I mean, you know, um, not, a, you know, he had a 13 point, Amer- a 13 goal American League season. Um, you know, he wasn't that bad. Uh. I know some of his fight, he kind of gets shit on for his early run there at the, with the Oilers. Um, and I get it. You know, was he the, like, was he the most exciting? No, he's a big dude, kind of did a lot of wrestling. Um, but the year after, when he was in, uh, Norfolk, um, just looking it up here, yeah, 2013, 14, yeah, he had 73 games, 299 minutes. Um, and in Hamilton and Binghamton and stuff, he was throwing down. I'm telling you, go back and, I mean, all his fights will be on hockeyfights.com. As much as I hate to get those pricks any fucking publicity, uh, go to YouTube, but the stuff will be up there. But 
Go look up, uh, seriously, go look up Storantini's American League footage. Um, yeah, as he got older and more, he would, he was, he had some great tilts. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, again, you know, put up points in junior. Um, like I said, 58 games, 40 points, right? 186 minutes and then 12 playoff games, he had seven points. So, um, again, I know junior is a long ways away from the NHL, but again, we're not talking one shift dummies. Um, no. Brian McGratton. See, uh, McGratton wasn't a bad player either. McGratton, scary looking dude. I wouldn't fight him, but I don't need to in order to keep my job. He convinces Pierce to fight him 73 times in 317 games. McGratton intimidated with the best of them, but the fact remains he scored at a clip with the worst of them, only garnering 27 points in his career, which means he would have had to play over 1,000 games to reach the 100-point mark. Yeah, like, okay, I guess, but I mean, um, I know McGratton wasn't that bad of a player. Um he could skate pretty good. Uh, again, another guy, um, you know, 18 goals in his last year. Junior he had a 20-goal season in Mississauga. Uh, and Binghamton, um, you know, nine goals, nine goals, seven goals. Of course, the one year he had seven goals, he had 51, 551 minutes of penalties. Um, but, yeah, he played non- with the Senators, knew his role. Um, yeah, and he didn't score much. Didn't score much with the Flames. Um, like I said, 10 goals in his career, but... Um, but no big dude, uh, could skate pretty good. Talk to people. He could skate pretty good, but he knew his role and what he was there for. But, um, I'm sure if the puck had hit his stick, he would know, he'd, he'd know what to do with it. Um, you know, as you can see, as I'm doing this list, I have a real issue with just talking like these guys are dummies. I mean, they had a role and they knew what to do and they were out there to hit and cause and create stuff. And, and especially like the later guys like McGratton and like Gazdick and stuff, like those dudes are getting like five minutes a game. Like, what are you going to put anybody, give anybody five minutes a game on the fourth line? You know, what, what are they going to do with it? They're not, you know, so it's like they, this guy taught, oh, you don't have to play a hundred games, a thousand games to get a hundred points. Well, it's not like when he was on the flames, he was out there with, or on with Ottawa, he was out there with like Alfredson and them. Like, no. So, yeah. Number 10, Jody Shelley. Shelley had 173 fights in his career. Staggering number. While his fight frequency is right up there. Point production is right down there amongst the amongst the uh, lowest of the low. I'm like, yeah, this guy, is first, his writing is really clunky and it's kind of all over the place. But I'm, yeah, I'm not really digging the uh, sort of the underhand, like the backhanded kind of bullshit passive-aggressive nature of the, t- the tone of the article. Um, again, Jody Shelley, uh, Quebec Major Junior, played in an All-Star game. 59 games, 13 goals. F- 50 games, 13 goals. Next season, 59 games, 420 minutes, 25 goals. Um, but he played in Johnstown, 12 goals. The next year, 36 games, he had 9 goals. Um, yeah, obviously 627 NHL games, only 18 goals. Again, not his role. Um, but again, when you're in a Quebec junior league all-star with the Halifax Mooseheads and you play a season of, uh, well, a brief season of university hockey where in 19 games, he had 17 points. Um, yeah, I just, you're not clueless. I just, I just, yeah, I'll, I'm not, okay. I'm not going to keep going on about it, but this, this article is really fucking, I'm going to talk to this fucking article is really irritating me. Uh, Kevin Westgarth. Westgarth played most professional hockey. 
most recently played professional hockey in Belfast, where he did squeeze out 169 NHL games before defecting to Europe. He had 32 fights in those in those three seasons. Uh, kept up, struggled to keep up the speed of the NHL game. However, resulted only produced 16 points in his entire career. Seven of those came in the final 36 games with the Flames. So perhaps he was turning the corner, or perhaps he was just given the ice time. Yeah, there could be that too. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go over to HockeyDB and. Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, well, first of all, the guy, I don't know what his, they don't have his junior A stats up here, but, you know, guy played college hockey at Princeton. Um, you know, 29 games, he had 23 points. 33 games, 24 points. Um, his last full season with the, with the Monarchs, uh, before he went in the NHL, 76 games, he had 11 goals and 14 assists and 180 minutes. And that's when he, of course, he's adapting to the enforcer role at that time, too. And, uh, you know, taking on everyone. Um, so, you know. And then he gets to Belfast to kind of round out his career. 36 games, he had 13 goals. Okay, granted, it's the it's the European League, but still. Um, you know. Yeah, it's just. Yeah. Number eight, Darcy Hordachuk. Yeah, okay, I'll give him the Hordachuk one. I mean, Hordachuk could skate, though. He was a good skater. Didn't have, his hands were a little, meh. Because I watched him play junior here, so I will say that. Um, it looks as though it was taken down, but Hordachuk used to have his own website when he played in the NHL. Yes, he did. It was great because you could click on the links and you could lead to videos of all his fights, his goals, and scoring chances. Uh, I need to say the Horda goals achieved were a little bare. 20 career goals. He did have 129 regular season fights and 542 NHL games. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Darcy Hordachuk. Nice guy. Uh, got to know him a little, little bit with the Blades when he played here. Um, Actually got his fight footage off him. Made a few fight DVDs for him. Um, he made a big impact when he first came up in the IHL. Uh, he was just playing with Orlando, just running dudes. And he was with the thra- Trash. I always want to say Trashers. Atlanta Thrashers for a while. And yeah, Horty was great. Big Hordachuk fan. But yeah, I, yeah, he wasn't. He, little. The skill, great, good skater, good body checker. Knew his role. Fought everybody. But uh, yeah, I will say with the puck, not not great. Uh, George Peros, Peros intelligent man, he knew he wouldn't have much of an NHL career based on his skills, so he decided to fight. Uh, 474 regular season games, Princeton graduate racked up 158 fights, works out to one every three games. That's a lot of fights, actually. I didn't realize Peros had fought that much. 36 points, however, work out to one point every 13 games or so. Eh, that's still not that bad. Um, yeah, I didn't realize Peros fought that much. I was never... Um, I was respected what he did, and I, I don't have a problem with George. I, um, I was never a big fan of Barrow, so when he played, it was his fighting style. Um, but he fought every his car, fight card was awesome. Um, it's always weird to look at old pictures when he doesn't have the stash in LA and shit. But uh, no, he started the violent gentleman thing. Player, you know, smart dude. Now he's a player safety guy. Um, I don't know. Tells tells a good story. I like Barrow. Like he's cool. Um, I was never a huge, like I said, never a huge fan of his fighting style, but. Um, you know, he, he, he adapted, he knew what he had to do again, college guy, um, did what he had to do. I got no problem with him. How do you say like right as even ons? I'm thinking that's Radis even ons. Is that how you say it? I don't know. Even ons. Ivan as I would say, want to say Ivan as even ons. Ah, like many other fighters forced to retire due to concussion issues. Few seasons back, early 30s at the time, managed to find a way onto the NHL lineup for 282 t- games. That's probably I didn't realize he had played that. He, I didn't realize he played that many games. 
Uh, one of the most feared for a relatively short NHL career, have fought 55 times. Offensive totals, 12 games, 18 points. However, paint a pretty clear picture of his scoring limitations. Um, I know he is a massive dude, though, uh, jacked up. Uh, let's look at his stats. I know he played, bounced around the minors forever. Um, but yeah, he came over from Latvia, wasn't, didn't know how to, you know, it was just different for him, right? They didn't have the infighting and all that over there, but he, um, actually I had a great, I, my friend Yukai had him on the show and he talks about, even though it's coming over and not getting treated very well. And, uh, but baptism by fire and th- get thrown into the wolves that the, in the, at the United League with New Haven and Baton Rouge and stuff like that, Rockford and, um, but yeah, he, uh, he came a long way and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously was not given a chance to, to show his skill. That's not what he was there for, right? He was cl- clearly put in that enforced role and that's what he was there for. Um, but massive dude played with the Kings for a bunch of years and, uh, yeah, unfortunately that big, uh, I actually, I think it was the McIntyre, I believe knocking him there, knocking him out when he was at Calgary in the battle of Alberta there that I think got, uh, that was the end of, uh, end of his career that was a tough shot but uh yeah but yeah limited skills for sure i'll give him that one uh number five colt nor a role in the nhl fades into oblivion as does the nhl career of colt nor see it's like <clears throat> yeah okay currently playing for calgary's farm club in stockton uh 33 old winger 477 games so even if he doesn't make it back it's a pretty good career for a man with a skill level or fought 119 times in the nhl pitched in with only 24 points yeah, I mean, uh, again, Orr was one of those. I, I will say, as much as I hate, I don't want to sit there and say I agree with this guy writing, but Orr uh, was definitely came in a time when it was like nuclear weapons and, you know, five shift a game guys. Like, he didn't play much in junior either. Um, he had the eight goals the one year at Kamloops, but, you know, in his final year, 37 goals, six games. Or 37 games, six goals. Um you know, and, and then, you know, even with Providence, 64 games, he had one goal. Then the next year, 61 games, again, one goal. He had, so he had two American League goals in two seasons. So, I mean, he knew the role and he was there to fight and he fought everyone and had great fights. And, and that, at the time, that was, that was just the way it was at the time, um, that you, you had the Bougards and the McIntyres and the Oars and it was a time of nuclear weaponry. And, uh, again, that can be argued. Is that good or bad? Eh. You know, it's just a different time. Um, and Orr was a part of that time. Number four, Tony Twist. Uh, it was rolling when he played with the Blades in WHL. Uh, punched his way to a solid NHL career for 445 games in St. Louis and Quebec. In that time, Twist fought 104 times to fight every four games. Only scored 10 goals in the span. However, it works out to an average of less than two goals per season. Um, yeah, I mean, well, Twist came up as a D-man too. Um yeah, again, no doubt about it. Limited skill, but a big guy. Knew his role. Really knew his... I don't think anybody knew their role better than Tony Twist. Um, so again, I, with the way the article's written, okay, I agree with the, the Twist was not a very good hockey player. Well, he even says he wasn't a good hockey player. He was there for one reason, and um, and he did it exceptionally well. And uh, and, and especially at that time frame, um, he was very much needed. And, uh, yeah, Twister. Number three, Stu Grimson. Uh, jumped up a few spots uh, on the list based on his name alone. Uh, 
Grim Reaper Sox had 729 games through the late 80s to early 2000s. Long career for a fighter, but nonetheless, good old Stu didn't rack up, crack the 40-point barrier in his career. Uh, fight total, he did have 211 by the time he called it quits uh, more than anyone on our list. Um, yeah, I mean, Stu uh, was another guy, I, I will agree, very very limited skill. Um, although, again, with the Regina Pats in his final season, 71 games, he had 24 goals, 32 assists. Uh, then he played two years of college hockey at the University of Manitoba. Finally, there, 29 games, hit 16 points. Uh, then nine nine goals in 37 games in the IHL. Uh, again, the next season, 72 games, nine goals, 62 games, eight goals, all with the Salt Lake Golden Eagles, the IHL. Well, this is at the same time racking up 300 minutes. Um, so, when given an opportunity, he could definitely he was not bad. Uh, but of course, as he got to the Chicago and then Anaheim, Detroit, and bounced around the NHL, he was there for one reason and limited ice time. And in that ice time, it was that was his time to fight. He wasn't there to score. But um, but yeah, I know just from looking at those numbers, um, and I know from reading articles and stuff that in junior and stuff, he was not a bad player. Number two, oh, so there you go, Steve McIntyre, 17, 17 NHL fights to his credit, and he only played 92 games, so that's actually quite a few. It's even more considering the fact that more often than not play fewer than five minutes a night. Uh, was the most entirely devoid of offense. He played in parts of five seasons, only managed to score a goal in one of them. Uh, he added two assists for a total of a whopping four points. Well, again, he got next to no ice time, and he was there for one reason. Um, again, I've known McIntyre since he was 14, 15, watched him in AAA talk to people he was a very good he's a very good skater for as big as he was um he could move he could hit um yeah so but again that's what i i brought up before kind of the nuclear weapon time time frame and um yeah he uh he was one of the best and it, it's a shame he didn't get more nhl time and um but yeah steve mcintyre was a bad dude and the number one NHL enforcer who were terrible hockey players, John Scott. With all the loopless surrounding Scott these days, it's hard not to have him at number one on the list. Well aware by now, the NHL seemed to orchestrate a way to avoid letting John Scott play in the NHL. All-star game, while we disagree with this shifty maneuver from the NHL, uh, they dug their own graves with the fan voting system. Not to mention Scott was a good sport about it all, saying that Scott would stick stick out like a sore thumb and three-on-three all-star games is an understatement, although he played quite well and ended up getting the MVP of that tournament. And uh, and he looked really good um, throughout his NHL career. Had 11 points to go with 500 penalty minutes in 285 games. He had 38 fights. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, how, how was Scott? I know he's a college guy. Um, so he kind of had to, he had kind of had to learn, another guy that had to learn how to fight. Yeah, Michigan Tech. Yeah, he didn't put up a lot of points. Um and then in the Houston Arrows, he had 65 games, he had one goal. 64 games, he had three goals. I mean, obviously a huge guy, knew his role. Uh, again, another one of the, kind of one of those nuclear weapons at the end of your bench. So, um, although, again, as we talk, and it's an all-star game, so obviously people aren't going balls out and whatever. But he did show that he kind of had a clue with the puck and he could shoot. And I mean, that's the thing, at the same time. These guys are practicing and, and training every day with the best players in the world. So it's obviously going to rub off on you and you will learn some skills. Um, so, I mean, if John Scott came out to your beer league and played, he'd be the best player. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's, uh, 
I, I can't say I was a huge fan of that article. I, I, I get the gist of what the guy was trying to do. Um, I just have a hard time shitting on anybody that made the NHL. You know, it, it sounds so ridiculous. I mean, I know he's trying to write the article and whatever. <clears throat> but I think a lot of these people that gets, they just get hung up on stats and numbers and, and, uh, and that type of thing. It's, um, it's ridiculous and it, it, you can't, you can't judge a guy like that, especially like I said, with the, with the, with the minutes these guys weren't getting and stuff. I mean, yeah, like I said, who's going to do anything in five minutes of ice time. So, and again, and as, as I brought up with the nuclear weapon thing, it's a different era too in that time frame. So those guys were kind of, they were behind the eight ball to begin with because the old Don Cherry saying, and it's, and it's true because that's always been the mindset. It's what's the, when a crusher becomes a rusher, he soon becomes an usher. And, um, yeah, and that's a, and that's a firm belief held by many coaches. So at that time frame, so these guys weren't allowed to do that shit. Um, if you start dangling too much or, you know, thought you were something, they were going to make an example out of you. You either weren't going to play, you were going to go back to the minors, you know, and, uh, and nobody wants that. Right. So it was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. You know, get the puck in on the four check, take the body, crash the net, and if anybody wants to play fuck around, you do it. Um, but, tough way to make a living, but you're making a living and you're playing in the NHL, and that's how you're going to stick. So, and at that time, if you didn't want to do it, believe me, there was th- three guys in the American League on that on your farm team that were more than happy to do it. So, uh, that sort of led those guys down that path. But uh, anyway, thank you, Kevin, for sending that article. Uh, that annoyed the shit out of me. But, uh, well, there we go. I didn't have much to talk about, and I ended up going 50 minutes for you. So, um, again, I apologize for taking, uh, for being late with this episode, but uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And it is now actually 10.37, so I'm actually going to go to bed because 5 o'clock comes early. Um, but thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to have Alec on the show. Maybe Jay, we'll see. We're kind of texting right now, but we're going to do a, the minor league mayhem review. Just talk about some minor league guys and have some fun with that. I hope you tune in on Sunday. Um, again, uh, wherever you're listening to this show, uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever, if you could rate and review my show, I don't ask much for you guys, but if you could rate and review my show, I would greatly appreciate it because it helps me in the algorithms and stuff. And if you go to YouTube, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, have over 2,500 videos, check them out. Um, like, hit the little fight like thing and subscribe to the channel. Again, YouTube loves that shit. So, and it helps me out. You know, when you're watching a video on the right hand side, it says related videos. Well, that's how you get into those related videos is by you guys watching and clicking thumbs up and all that stuff. So, if you guys could do that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. But uh, I'm going to get out of here. I'll talk to you cats on Sunday. Have a good night, guys. Thanks. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?